On the block, on demand. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. Welcome back. Happy Monday, everybody. You're on the block. On the Block is presented by our friends at Agway Energy Services. How's your Monday going, huh? You guys doing all right? Hope you had good weekends. Getting excited in our house. New puppy coming this week. So I am going, I might just take a few days off to sleep if you guys don't mind. The way we're talking about this, it's like we're having a baby again. It's like you read the books, oh, be prepared, you're going to lose sleep. I'm like, it's like for a week, right? It's not like we're having a kid again. But yes, I, uh, you, you know how, as my frequent phone calls with our buddy Scooter about watching Pac-12 games at one in the morning, you know how it goes when uh, Grandpa loses his beauty sleep. So we'll see how that goes. So that's exciting news in our house. Hope you guys have exciting news in your house as well. Now, let's listen to the soundbite first. And a soundbite does not tell the whole tale. But if there's one thing that I have learned in covering Jim Beheim as long as I have, and interviewing Jim Beheim as long as I have, one is to, frankly, expect the unexpected, even after all this time. But two, that press conference, nothing slips out there by accident, okay? As much as it seems sometimes that messages are for an audience of few or personal vendettas come out or... Look, I've said a hundred times, it's the best show in town for a number of reasons. The blatant and the blunt, pardon me, is is the word I was looking for, the blunt criticism of his team, how he, he's not afraid to send a message through the media, how he will challenge things that are said and written about him. Some see it as petty. Some see it as, why should you care so much about this? It's part of the job. I, I say it's his show. And... It's his press conference, and he can use that forum any way he wants and then, you know, let the world judge because he doesn't care. So this doesn't slip out by accident, that there was some consultation on Matthew Moyer's playing status yesterday. Let's listen to the clip. This is Jim Beheim on Matthew Moyer and why he didn't play and kind of how that uh, played out. He practiced. says his ankle hurts. He looked fine in practice the last two days. He helped us against Louisville. He can't jump really off one leg, but I had bad ankles, and you, you can go jump off two. But uh, his father came in and told him not to play, and I don't play somebody when they don't want to play. There you go. Now, if you are of the understanding, you're practicing, you're good, it's tricky, we know you're not 100%, but you have helped us here. And oh, by the way, we're down to our limit. It's one thing if you've got depth and you don't need Matthew Moyer, but you need Matthew Moyer. And you need Barama if he can give you even what he did in that game yesterday. 17 minutes, four points, three rebounds. The presence, the athleticism, even on the knee that had platelets taken out of it and put in, and his whole situation. Which is interesting because you have, you know, another player in Barama who's been touch and go, who did not play the last two games and is constantly consulting with the coaching staff. And this is how I'm feeling, you know, I... I don't. I want to give proper credit where it's due. It was one of the assistant coaches. I believe it was Autry. But pardon me if I'm misplacing the credit here. But it was one of the assistant coaches that was praising Barama and some stuff that I was reading because of how honest he is. Because you don't want somebody out there if you're going to hurt the team. Jim Beheim just said it there. I don't want to play somebody who doesn't want to play. You also don't put somebody out there who's going to hurt you. Because a true competitor and a true athlete, you know, they'll be like the Black Knight from the Monty Python movies. You know, I'll bite your bloody leg off. 
You know, no arms, no legs. Come here. You know, and where are you going? I'll bite your bloody leg off. But you have to make cognizant decisions on these things. You don't put somebody out there that can hurt you. You appreciate the athletic drive and the competitiveness, but even down to bare bones limits depth wise, you cannot put somebody out there that's going to hurt you more than help you. But this is sports, and the mentality is you push through and you grit and you sacrifice for your teammates. That's mostly football discussions that we have, but as we've learned with this basketball team, with Howard Washington's injury, departures in the case of Torian Thompson and Geno Thorpe and just how things have played out, the definition of this team has been grit. No matter what, they're going to play their butt off on defense. They're going to hit the boards. They're going to grind. They have done just that to a 17-8 and record and still here on February 12th smack dab in the middle of the NCAA tournament conversation. So just listening to that soundbite, I think you can kind of decode it pretty easily. And if it's the case of who's making a decision here, I have to say I'm on Beheim's side if he is in fact irritated that a consultation with a parent led to Matthew Moyer not playing. Now listen, that's... We forget the most basic, fundamental thing sometimes. That's somebody's kid out there. This is college sports. You're in that weird in-between where they're not quite high school kids. You want to teach them about life and growing up and handling their business and, you know, preparing for life after college. But they still are college kids. And in this case, young college kids. And if that's your kid out there, you do not want, and I'm speaking generally here, not about anybody specific, You don't want a coach to wreck your kid's knee or any other body part or, you know, think of these conversations that take place in football because they have to win. That's your kid out there. You are thinking about their long-term benefit, which, by the way, so is the coaching staff. So is the medical staff. Syracuse has a medical staff that wouldn't clear him to play if he couldn't play. But when it's your kid, all bets are off. You're going to look out for their best interest no matter what. So if the process was, he's good, he's good, he's good, he's practicing, even at 60%, he's helping you. And Beheim mentioned that in the press conference. He said he was 60%. That helps me. That helped me against Louisville. I'm going to put you out there. And all of a sudden, as cited, if this is in fact the case, that a parent, in this case a father, says, you're not playing. And that's where it comes from. Well, you can sense the agitation there, and you can see, well, that's not really a good look. But you can also understand where the parent's coming from. So there's a real tug of war going on here. But when you, and this is such a hard thing for parents to do. Like my my daughter is in a couple different things. And there's just things that uh, as a parent, you just kind of have to trust, in this case, an instructor or a coach, right? That's hard to do given some of the things we've heard recently in headlines, frankly. But, you know, when you are in a program and you are paying for, you know, so you certainly have an insight into these things, but you have to trust the instructor or the coach to know what's best in whatever form we're talking about here, right? College sports is such a unique thing because it's so similar to professional sports, the pressure to win, people pay to watch this stuff, the way that we discuss these players and break it down, it sounds stupid to say, but we sometimes forget they are college kids. That's someone's teenager out there in some cases, right? Because it has the feel of a professional team, the way we discuss it. 
So there's an interesting dynamic here. Beheim specifically says his father cites his father. He was practicing. He was good. Brought up his own example. I've had a similar injury. Ankle injuries are tricky things. I am not a doctor. I just pretend to be one on the radio. But it was interesting how quickly Moyer came back. We were hearing it was a few weeks, and then all of a sudden, shorter period of time, he's out there. I mean, he's not lighting the world on fire, right? But they need him. They need somebody to just go out there, give him 14 to 18 minutes, have a presence. And as Beheim said, he did help us against Louisville. So I get the agitation. I get the competitive drive there. But it's his job to win games. And if he says 60%, that's good enough for me. Well, if it's not good enough for the player, all of a sudden is the player painted as somebody who, there's a number of terms I can use here, but I'm just not going to do that. Now, again, this is not an apples-to-apples comparison, but you have somebody in Barama who that is often a game-time decision. It's all how he's feeling, and it's a treatment thing, and it's a different injury, knee versus an ankle. Everything seems to be going okay there. But over here with the Moyer side, it seems because, and again, this is just my perception on this, because a parent has been consulted here, now all of a sudden, I understand the agitation there. You've got to let me coach my team. You have got to trust me that I know what's best for my team and for your son. That's part of the process. When we recruit your son to come here, we are setting a certain standard and giving you certain promises about how we will take care of them. And if he's practicing well and he's passing all the tests and the medical staff is giving him a thumbs up, then you've got to let me do my thing. If the player wants to remove himself from the situation, well, as Beheim said, I'm not going to play somebody who doesn't want to play, right? His father came in and told him not to play, and I don't play somebody when they don't want to play. There you go. Which brings to mind something that I'm, I'm kind of burying the lead here. This is almost more of a mental thing than it is a physical thing. Ah, play for the pain, kid. Come on. You did it for practice. You did it all week. But if he's not mentally there, you would much rather, if I'm, in this case, Jim Beheim, or if I'm a coach of any team, I would rather you come to me before the game. I would rather you come to me before I find out the hard way that your head's not in the game. And we can sit you down here. Now, we happen to be in a spot here or where our depth is as pushed to the limit as it can be, and I could really use you out there. But if your head's not in this game, for whatever reason, then I don't want you out there because you are wasting my time and you're wasting your teammates' time. We put people out there that can help us. And I'm speaking generally there, but it has kind of circled into this team, and it's a very interesting discussion because they are so limited. You know, you got Braden Bayer, who is a converted walk-on, starting to get minutes, but... How much can he really help you? Barama played. Barama looked good, but you know, Barama at 18 and 16 in a recent game, and they didn't play the next two. That is a touch-and-go situation that went up to the deadline, went to the 11th hour in terms of are we going to medically redshirt him or not? And if he can go and he can play, it's a darn good thing they didn't because they need him. Pascal Chukwu, who we haven't even mentioned yet, was, you know, it's exactly what you need from him yesterday. 23 minutes. Seven points, 11 rebounds, couple of blocks, big one at the end. Big play at the end. Frank Howard really found him on two kind of pick-and-roll plays, particularly one in the second half that was big. Dunking the ball, had some authority in there. But there's a dynamic out there when Barama plays. 
The offense moves a little bit better. You want him to get time. You want him to have experience. If he can play, you want him to play. And I think that's the feeling with Moyer. You'd played in these previous games. You're practicing all along. Then all of a sudden, oh, now you're not playing. Whoa. What do you mean? Now, if he physically couldn't go, if that ankle century, ankle situation flared up and See, this is, there's a lot of things we don't know, and we can only go with what we're told here and with medical information that's not always as forthcoming as you would uh, expect, and that's understandable in some ways, and in some cases they can't tell you because of privacy laws and HIPAA laws and all that boring stuff that I won't get into. But there's a little bit of a, you know, now it's a thing. See, by bringing that up and telling us that, now it's a thing, and you're going to be asked about it, and it's going to be monitored. Well, if he doesn't play Wednesday, what's it all about? And that's going to lead to an exchange in the press conference. And So we'll see how that goes here. If Matthew Moyer comes out and plays Wednesday, you know, it's not a thing. But for now, it's, it's, it's a thing. How about that? We searched far and wide to describe what this is. It's a thing. But that's what happens during the course of a season, and this team has certainly seen its fair share of storylines in that way with Howard Washington's injury, with departures, with Barama's injury. you know. And look at Tyus Battle, O'Shea Brissett, and Frank Howard leading the ACC in minutes to this point. Knock on wood, that has not been an issue, but that's a lot of minutes. They lead the ACC 1-2-3 in minutes played. And, you know, Bayheim will tell you, look, they're college kids. There's enough breaks in the game. There's enough timeouts. This is not as a big of a deal as you're going to make it out to be. And, you know, for the most part, he might be right about that. But with a team stretched to the limit, if this is now a mental thing, if you've got outside influence now, well, you know, this is why you pay coaches the big bucks to navigate these things, right? So something to keep an eye on, for sure, how he practices this week. And if you've... And again, a part of me understands. Parents want what's best for their kid, particularly when they're injured. But there's just, as frustrating as this is, there's a certain amount of trust you got to have when you send your kid to play for a coach. And if that relationship breaks down, if you don't feel that's where they should be, then, you know, we've seen that before. Torian Thompson is no longer here. Plenty of players have come and go. That's college. Sometimes you go somewhere, you just find out, this isn't for me. And you don't always find that out right away or whatever the case may be. I'm not implying anything there with Matthew Moyer, but it just seems like, man, if you were practicing and and you're okay and I'm under the mind frame that you're going to go and then dad tells you you can't play if that's the case, and it seems to be there's at least some sort of consultation there, I understand the frustration there. you got to let me coach my team. And on that note, we will take a break. We can certainly talk more about this. We've got some hot takes to come, though. You're on the block, ESPN Radio. Stay right there. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. Welcome back, everybody. You're on the block, ESPN Radio. Adrian Autry show coming up tonight. Stephen Fonte and Coach Autry. Usually Seth Goldberg on the call there, but he's going to be doing some high school hoops, so Stephen Fonte will hang with Coach Autry, 7 o'clock. Right here on the radio, and it's Stradamia. Here from Coach Autry on everything happening with Syracuse basketball as they turn the page from this Wake Forest win, get ready for NC State on Wednesday. Right now, I mean, with that fancy open, we're going to hot take this thing, baby. You ready? 
We've got a hot one for you. Oh, you're hot. Why, thank you. So are you. And I'm not afraid to cry. So hot. So hot and hurt. Man, it's hot. How hot is it? It's so hot, I poured McDonald's coffee in my lap to cool off. <laughs> it's time for hot takes on the block. You know, in hot takes, we're supposed to have takes, right? I'm supposed to tell you some things that are happening and have a take on it. Sometimes we include things in hot takes that are just wow moments, that are just like, this is a thing. And I don't necessarily have an opinion on it, but this is a thing. Have you heard what's going on with Esteban Loaiza? So he was jailed in San Diego, arrested on Friday, bail set for a mere $200,000. Why was he arrested? Now, this is a two-time All-Star, finished second in the American League Cy Young voting in 2003, was 21-9 that year, 2.90 ERA, had an AL leading 207 strikeouts for the Chicago White Sox, made just over $43 million in his major league career. So why was he arrested? Possession of 20 kilos of cocaine and heroin, possession of narcotics for sale, and possession and transportation of narcotics for sale. I mean, that right there is what happened here. There's a story there. There is an in-depth Sports Illustrated eight-page story waiting to be written. And maybe there's been some backstory on this, and I just missed it about how you go from making $44 million, getting Cy Young votes, having you know a terrific year like that, and being a name that when you hear people are like, I remember that guy, then arrested and associated with, this isn't, I, didn't, I had some cocaine and heroin in my possession. That is intent to distribute. That is dealer-like numbers. That is incredible. That is just, even in this world where so many crazy things happen, you almost are immune to how wild the sports world can be. That's one of those step back, even in this day and age, wow moments. That's hot. Virginia is the new number one team in college basketball. It is the first time since the Ralph Sampson days. 1982, they are number one in the AP poll, uh, earned 30 of 65 first place votes. Now both Villanova and Virginia lost last week, so you kind of wondered who would get the edge. Uh, Michigan State is number two. Virginia lost in overtime on Saturday to Virginia Tech, rivalry game. We kind of wondered if that would finally be the game they would lose. It was inevitable they would. There were upsets everywhere. Now, the Spartans climbed two slots after their win against Purdue in a big-time Big Ten matchup there. Villanova fell to third after their home loss to St. John's. Xavier and Cincinnati rounded out the top five. Dukes out of the top ten. Kentucky and Miami, who Syracuse plays after NC State on Wednesday, are both out of the top 25. You look at the top, and they also put out the top 16 seeds this weekend from college basketball. And as Jay Billis told us on this show, if you have certainly seen, what we have not seen is a true separation yet. So the question always becomes, and we've still got a month to go here, and a lot of crazy things can happen. What kind of NCAA tournament field does that produce? The NCAA tournament is always must-see television. It's always entertaining. It's something we all fill out our brackets. But every tournament takes on a different feel. Are there some top-heavy teams, or is it a wide-open field? You always look for upsets. There's always stories we don't see coming. But there really is – it's not top-heavy. Virginia, I have felt all along, has been the best team in the country, but it's not by much. Villanova lost, but teams lose. It happens. 
That's part of the reason why college hoops is not top-heavy this year. Who you can roll out as the top four seeds, and I just gave you the top five, Virginia, Villanova, Michigan State, Xavier, Cincinnati, are all good teams. I can make the case for all of them to win the national championship or lose in the second round, all of them. So does that, you know, we always like to say parity and wide open field and upsets, when in reality, we like heavyweights, we like brand names, we like things that are familiar to us. I just mentioned Duke's out of the top 10. Kentucky is not ranked, right? Where's Kansas? Where are the brand names? Where are the polarizing teams? They're not around this year. There's a lot of great stories and a lot of good hoops if you watch night in and night out. So I'm kind of wondering how that will translate into the tournament. That's hot. We're a month away from that. And nobody has separated themselves from the field. If this was a horse race, it'd be a photo finish. There is no secretariat this year. Personally, I like that. Because we watch enough college basketball in this town that it's cool to see some different stories in there. And the ACC, as we know, is a huge logjam right now. We know how competitive it is. And right now, Syracuse is riding on that logjam, not trying to get on it. They're in it, which... Usually it's not good to be in a log jam. In this case, you want to be because Syracuse fully controls its own destiny going forward here. But I'm glad to see Virginia on top. I was hoping that would be the case even after they lost because Villanova lost. And I just feel like in a in a close race there, you can make the case for both of them. I, I feel Virginia is the better team. And it, that that's a that's slightly. There's a real argument to be had there. I think the Indianapolis Colts made out better. They were going to bring in Josh McDaniels. We all know what happened with that. And I'm sitting there that whole time, and I said it on this show, and I'm biased because I'm a Buffalo Bills fan and I have a place in my heart forever for Frank Reich. But I have felt that I wanted the Bills to hire Frank Reich like three years ago before they hired, you know, Dopey. Okay, Rex Ryan. And he's just been sitting there and waiting. But sometimes you just kind of need that last hurdle to get over. And in Frank Reich's case, he's on a, a team and runs an offense that lost its starting quarterback and still went out there and won the Super Bowl. And Nick Foles was brilliant in that run. That, boy, was it too late for Frank Reich? How, did, how was he not on more lists beforehand? Why are we just anointing Josh McDaniels, the great one, this job. And I understand the Patriot way and, and everything, but Josh McDaniels has been a head coach and failed at it. Okay, but so did Bill Belichick and other people have done it. I, I'm not disputing why on the surface New England would get it, but when the general manager of the Colts came up to that podium and said, you know what, sometimes your forced choice is not your best choice. I mean, he's just playing damage control because the guy he waited for three weeks with stiffed him. But he wasn't wrong to say that. Sometimes the obvious choice is not the right one. Sometimes the guy that seems to be the one that stands out and is the obvious choice, well, it just works out better when you go down a different path. I think that's the case for Mike Hopkins. We all said, look, you've got this great program waiting for you. Just ride it out and wait. And he finally said, no, I need to go do my own thing. And it's early. The jury is still out in a lot of ways. But that seems to be working out for him at Washington, right? Sometimes the obvious choice is not the right one. Frank Reich worked with the Colts, knows Andrew Luck, and I understand the injury situation. That's a whole different conversation. He knows offense. He knows quarterbacks. He knows how to read defenses. 
He's been around. He has served his dues. He's a smart guy. Go read Peter King's Monday Morning Quarterback today, which, by the way, I mean, is always good. But Peter King did a phenomenal piece today about one play, the winning play of the Super Bowl. And how writers manage to pull this off sometimes amazes me. It is one play. There's only so much you can say about or write about or discuss something like that. And then you read like what Peter King said and wrote. And you're like, oh, there's a really good way to do that. And he pulled it off. And it's about Frank Reich and Doug Peterson and that play. And I read that and I said, this is going to work out better for the Colts. Josh McDaniels, there's a real vibe around the league about his ego. And it just sometimes things work out better for And in the case of the Indianapolis Colts, hiring Frank Reich to be their head coach. That's hot. At the risk of old takes exposed, circling back and highlighting this, if I'm dead wrong about it, they made the better choice. Now, look, Andrew Luck's got to be healthy. And right now, that's still a big question mark. How healthy that shoulder is. Because when he is even 90%, 85% healthy, he's one of the best quarterbacks in football. But right now... Kind of don't know what's going on with that. But if there's a coach that can take the next step, find a new quarterback, and make it work, well, Frank Reich has proven he can do it. It's not a matter of we think he can. It's a matter of he has done it. Now, speaking of quarterbacks that have not worked out, uh, one Johnny Football is speaking out here about his comeback attempt, and you know this is part of the process. We build you up. We break you down. You get into legal trouble. You get forgotten about, you get discussed as potentially the face of the XFL, and then your comeback story begins. So Jonathan Manziel on Good Morning America today. I was self-medicating with alcohol. Like that's what I thought was making me happy and helped me get out of that depression to a point of where I felt like I had some sense of happiness. But at the end of the day, when you wake up the next day after a night like that or after going on a trip like that and you wake up the next day and that's all gone and that liquid courage or that liquid like sense of euphoria that's over you is all gone and you're left staring at the ceiling by yourself and you're back in that, that depression and back in that hole, that dark hole of sitting in a room by yourself being super depressed thinking about all the mistakes you've made in your life, what did that get me? Where did that get me except out of the NFL? Where did that get me disgrace? I hope that Johnny Manziel got the help he needed. You never want to assume anything about people, but certain patterns emerge, and you know you take on that lifestyle. We have seen the story too many times, and there was a lot of patterns of addict behavior there, and he revealed he was bipolar as well. And just it goes back to a simple thing. Look, Johnny Manziel made his bed. Now he's got to sleep in it. He made some choices, and whether that was fueled by being an addict or not, you know, that that's part of it. But, you know, it's one of those things where after a while you just you lose patience for things. But let me go back to what I was saying earlier about Matthew Moyer. That's somebody's kid. That's somebody's son. That's a human being there. We build these up to be brands and athletes and headlines and things you see in your Twitter feed. Those these are people. And they go through things. I know I sound like just a bleeding heart right now, but I hope he's worked it out. If you just want to look at it football-wise, I kind of wonder if he came in with a clear head and dedicated himself. And I mean, he was in Cleveland, okay? The most accomplished, polished, straight and narrow quarterback in the country can go to Cleveland and have his career fall apart. So it was just, 
a whole it was just a pattern of recklessness. The way he was living his life, the ego there, we've heard about his family situation. He had a domestic violence situation away from football. Uh, now he's saying that he was bipolar in the attic thing. You're in Cleveland. I mean, that is a ref- recipe for disaster. Sometimes it's just that simple. It's just a progression of things. You lose insight. You lose perspective on life. And then they send you to Cleveland to try and make it. I mean, that's not where I would pick to go to turn my football life around. If football is going to become what I do and how I do it. But if there's one thing America loves, as proven time and again, is a great comeback story. I don't think the NFL is going to be the place for that comeback story. If Vince McMahon bends his rules about players that have been in trouble with the law, it could be a great XFL story, or I'll be watching more CFL football than I usually do. The point is, because of this kind of reality TV world we live in today, there's a place somebody, there's a place somewhere, I should say, for Jonathan Manziel, Jonathan Football to do something. He still wants it to be football. It may not be that. And on that note, we will take a break. We are going to talk more Rashi Hoops coming up. Brian Higgins next hour on some Syracuse lacrosse. Big start for them. Huge game coming up this weekend. The Syracuse women's team, in case you didn't notice, had a fantastic comeback. That he'll discuss with us. We'll go on the blind side next hour. We've got a lot to do. Hang in there. Thank you. Bye-bye.